Welcome to Measure Matters, the podcast that delves into the fascinating world of metrology and pressure calibration. I'm your host, Aaron Rayner, Director of Marketing. In today's episode, we have the privilege of diving into the fundamentals of calibration traceability with none other than Robert Clayton, Director of Engineering at Menser. Now, calibration traceability is a critical aspect of achieving accurate measurements, ensuring that the instruments that we rely on provide reliable and trustworthy results. Now, Robert is going to share his wealth of knowledge and experience unraveling the complexities of traceability and shedding some light on its significance in the world of metrology. So grab your headphones and get ready to immerse yourself in the world of metrology on Measure Matters. You're listening to Measure Matters, a podcast by Menser. Robert, welcome. Thank you. So give us a little bit of insight on uh, your tenure here at Menser and what you do for the company. Oh, man. I have been here for 36 years, and I started out as a test engineer trying to break things, which I <laughs> excelled at. So they they promoted me out of that department. <laughs> and then I was in the design engineering group. I was in charge of production for a while, off and on in charge of the calibration lab and the metrology side of things. And... Uh, now I'm back as the engineering manager again, so nice. full circle. Okay, so <laughs> what's the most interesting thing that you've broken? Oh my gosh, we had a shipment of brand new products that were going to NASA, and I was running a final test on them over a weekend, and I burned them up in an environmental <laughs> chamber like the week before they were supposed to go out. Now, was that on purpose or...? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but fortunately, my boss at, at the time told me, well, you know, if you never did anything, you'd never break anything. So I guess you get a, a, a pass for this one. <laughs> it was kind of embarrassing and it was a memorable experience. So they obviously. got you out of there just like, you know, yeah, yeah. split. <laughs> no more of that guy. He's, he's, he's too good at testing, quote unquote, things. <laughs> well, I mean, over 30 years here, so you must be breaking the right things. Yeah, I guess so. Very cool. So, Knowing the right people. There you go. There Something, you go. I don't know. <laughs> well, earlier in this season, we had Philip Romero here, and he touched a little bit on traceability. So um, I'm going to go ahead and put you on blast. Whenever I started to dive into it, he said that Robert was the guy to talk to about traceability, that he doesn't hold a candle to you. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, with that said, um, explain to us a little bit, like, uh, just give us a quick definition of traceability as it relates to our industry. Traceability is your ability to prove that your measurements that you make are defined ultimately by the SI system. Okay. I mean, and it goes through several steps to get there and several different organizations manage that and um, it's got actually quite an interesting history in preparation for this podcast I actually had to go back and look at some of the original thoughts behind traceability which uh -huh. was done in 1875 oh no kidding it's it's called the meter convention and on May the 20th, various countries signed this thing that basically initiated the structure of this so that everybody had 
measurements made to the same mm -hmm. ultimate artifact at that point in time. And it was just around measuring length and mass at that point in oh, time. Wow. But what they wanted to do was to be able to have a universal system so that if you buy a, a, a kilogram of wheat in Egypt, it was the same as a kilogram of wheat measurement-wise as, as you buy it from Kansas or wherever. Wow, okay. So that was kind of the a, a way to normalize trade initially, which is kind of interesting because like in the United States, NIST is actually a, a part of the Department of Commerce. And that makes sense, I mean, in that framework. That's really interesting. And what year was that that they came together? 1875. So which model of our pressure controller was around during that time? <laughs> that was just me, not the controller. Oh, okay. <laughs> Still thinking about it. Uh, how funny. Well, I think that it's, I, I want to point out that it's super cool that you did a little bit of inside research leading into the podcast. Everybody else that came before you had no idea what they were even going to talk about. So, man, you're ahead of the curve. Well, I guess I'm lucky or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, so back on topic, why is traceability um, why is traceability crucial in pressure calibration? Well, to be able to prove that your calibration measurements that you make are accurate, mm -hmm. or at least I don't guarantee their accuracy, but it guarantees that you can prove that they are actually derived from these international standards. Okay. Okay, so then when you talked about the countries that came together and, and did that, so are, is it fair to say that anybody that um, provided calibration, you know, regardless of what type of calibration, uh, that they would uh, want to be a part of that association? Well, having not been there at the time, it's <laughs> difficult to answer. But, I, I mean, I think ultimately that was kind of, set up as the international standard that got more and more countries involved in it. I, I, I didn't really look to see who the countries were initially involved in it, uh, but it's grown to quite a number at this point. Um, but like I said, the, the interesting thing about it is that it had 14 articles initially that kind of laid out this standard of what are these artifacts or where are these artifacts going to be mm -hmm. in Paris? Um, they provided funding to create laboratories and stuff to be able to house these artifacts, artifacts and make measurements against them, mm -hmm. comparison measurements to it. And it created a hierarchical structure of, of uh, basically entities that could provide guidance to lower and lower level ones. So it's, oh. it's kind of interesting. Okay. What are the benefits of implementing um, a traceability system in pressure calibration? Well, it proves the validity of the measurements that you're making. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we have an accreditation to ISO 17025, which is the basic competency of your of your calibration laboratory and one of the requirements of that is that you have traceable standards mm -hmm. and so that ensures that our customers if they get a calibration from us that they're legitimate okay so it's all about credibility then yeah, a lot of it is about credibility i mean ultimately uh, what we're selling is our calibration accuracy reliability i mean the 
the instrument itself, I mean, you can use one of our controlling instruments to measure things. I mean, so if somebody needs to measure something, it doesn't really matter what instrument they get. But that's the one that's the one commonality across all of our instruments. They all measure pressure, right? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the customer is interested in that pressure measurement and the accuracy of that pressure measurement. And that's kind of where the whole traceability thing comes into play. So then traceability helps to ensure accuracy uh, or accurate measurements with calibration? It, no. Oh. It, it doesn't necessarily, It not without other certifications like 17025. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, I could have a, a dial gauge that measures my car tire pressure. Okay. And it can be 5% accurate. And it might have a traceable calibration chain all the way back to the the units, the SI units, but it doesn't mean that it's accurate. It just means that if I make a measurement with that, you can guarantee that within its band of uncertainty that it's gonna be accurate to that amount. And that's oh, a that's kind of and that's a problem because um it, it's actually being revised at this point but like some of the older pressure uh, standards that we adhered to had no way of or, or no requirement for your reference devices to be more accurate than the devices that you're calibrating so and how do, how do the standards that we adhere to now differ from the ones that we did then it, it, Boy, this is this is a try. This gets off of traceability, but but ba basically, it it becomes a, a a risk factor. Okay. So if you go to a particular lab that has these traceable standards that have a really poor, what we would consider to be poor uncertainty or poor accuracy and poor uncertainties, you could send your super precision device to them. They could calibrate it. Mm -hmm. Right. The likelihood that your device is actually going to meet its precision standards because it was calibrated with a, a much lower accuracy device is pretty small. Right. So then you've got a lot of consumer risk, right? And so what as standards have been rewritten, they've made it so that the the risk to the consumer of that calibration becomes smaller and smaller. And and, and some standards have that very precisely defined, some others not so much, but it's but just because you send your device to a calibration lab that has the capability of making a, a measurement of your pressure range doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily get an, an acceptable result from that. Okay. And that's where we have methods in place here in our calibration lab, in our software that we use to collect all the data to prove that doesn't happen. I mean, we go in and actually calculate out the uncertainties of our measurement standards and the uncertainties of the measurement process and everything and make sure that when we calibrate somebody's instrument that it is within the tolerance that that original manufacturer set for that instrument. Is that unique to Menser? I wouldn't say it's unique. It's unique to, or it's distinct to high quality calibration facilities. Ah, okay. So Menser, the best a man can get or a person. <laughs> I've been dropping all these 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 wrong slogans. I, I feel like we're gonna uh, have to start cutting out checks to people. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it'll be okay until Gillette's. Yeah, that one. right. <laughs> well, okay. Um, 
how, so then how does traceability contribute to the reliability of pressure control results? Or does it? It, I mean, I think that it's more suited towards calling it the reliability of your calibration that you get on the thing. I mean, mm -hmm. which is ultimately, like I said before, what, what our customers are interested in. But it gets, it's also very interesting because there's a lot of difficulty a lot of times in people communicating correctly, right? Mm -hmm. Using the same nomenclature to describe things and all. And uh, traceability actually, I mean, and I'm no expert in the matter, but what I'm talking about is kind of metrological traceability. And then there's a whole nother section of that called uh, legal metrology. Mm -hmm. I mean, like um, there's a another international organization, OIML, the International Organization of Legal Metrology. And they're the people that control things like the, when you go to fill up your car, how are you getting an, an actual gallon of gas or whatever that you're putting in there? Oh. And so there's all these legal standards that are set up by um, governmental organizations worldwide that basically are the backbone to make sure that the consumer products and things are, are what they say they are. Interesting. Okay. And, and so that's kind of a different uh, traceability chain that way. I mean, that ultimately go back to the SI units, right? The right. SI units, there's seven SI units that are the, the, the gold standard that everything is measured by. And, and pressure isn't one of them. Ah, okay. It's a, it's a derived standard, right? It's, you, you have force which is also a derived standard over area which is a derived standard from length and so anyway <laughs> for, for but these seven units you can basically create create any units of measurement that uh, we use in the world it's pretty fascinating to think that see i appreciate the way that you you keep bringing it back to the original conversation because usually it's me having to keep our guests you know on point so this is why they pay you the big bucks man <laughs> so okay well then I'm going to step up and, and bring us back to pressure calibration. So in terms of pressure calibration, are there are there any potential consequences of not establishing traceability? Besides risk, you talked about risk. Well, that's ultimately what it is. I mean, I mean, and then I suppose that there's a lot of different potential risks that you can have, right? I mean, if you get your device calibrated by some fly by the night lab that doesn't have traceable <laughs> results and they give you a calibration certificate that says, man, this is reading a hundred pounds right out of hundred pounds or whatever. And then you go and inflate your car tire and it explodes. <laughs> That's a risk. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd say. I, you know, so there's that. I mean, it's ultimately, you know, what the devices are used for, but I mean, that's a, it's a big problem. Okay. So then traceability does, um, play a role in meeting regulatory or quality standards then, yeah? Absolutely. Okay, okay. So what are some of the common challenges uh, faced when establishing traceability? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's interesting that you say that. I mean, generally, if like in our instance, you're an accredited calibration laboratory, which essentially means that there's a third party that comes in and checks all of your procedures, training, capabilities, and everything so that they basically put their stamp of approval that says you're 
lab is capable of doing what it says it can do. In our case, that's the the ATLA, American Association of Laboratory Accreditation. Right. But, and there's other bodies that do that. I can talk well, more about that in a minute. But uh, basically, what did you say? <laughs> I totally lost. It's all involved in my no, world you, over you here. Going, you were going down the path. I was going down the no, path. Hey, I was eating it up, okay? So you're... <laughs> I was saying, what are some of uh, the challenges faced with establishing traceability? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I apologize. So, um, anyway, most if you have certification by a third-party organization like that, a creditable one, then generally people will accept that you have acceptably traceable standards. However, when we deal with things like the U.S. military, mm-hmm. it doesn't care about the reference standards that are in France or whatever. They want everything traceable to the to NIST, National Institute of Standards Technology. Right. And their contracts specifically say that you have to be traceable to NIST. Well, of course, NIST is traceable to the SI units and everything. They're, they're one of the um, members of the BIPM, which is the... International Bureau of Weights and Measures, mm-hmm. and as are all other credible national metrology institutes, NMIs. But uh, yeah, so we'll look at this contract from the military, and it says you have to be traceable to NIST. Well, we've run into situations before where we had equipment that we had purchased from other countries in Europe or whatever, perfectly legitimate things, had calibration traceability to the SI system, but it went through the PTB in Germany, or it went through, you know, LNE in France, which are their national metrology institutes. Mm -hmm. From a metrological sense, it was perfectly great. Our traceability was fine. But from the U.S. military, where they said, you wanted traceability to NIST, we couldn't use those standards to oh, calibrate their instruments. Interesting. And so that probably goes both ways. We could have something that is traceable to NIST here, and but may not, you know, France or Germany. They it might. may not be traceable to their national uh, metrology institutes. Uh, that's the only real circumstance that I can recall that ever being kind of an issue but it is kind of interesting and it's kind of silly because they ultimately point to the same reference standards but, okay but so it's just kind of the governing body that, that's it's really about that or because or is there really a differentiating you'd have to ask somebody that wrote that military contract <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, don't, I, I don't know why they specify that I, and it's I'm sure it's a holdover. Uh-huh. I mean, because we used to back in the olden days, <laughs> when I was the 1800s, right? Yeah, when I was signing the uh, meter <laughs> convention, um, <laughs> we had to actually provide traceability to. At that point, the predecessor to NIST was NBS, the National Bureau of Standards, and. We actually had to provide calibration certificates to our customers or calibration numbers that proved that we had our devices calibrated by Mm -hmm. the NBS or calibrated by NIST. So we were only, they only were one step removed from our national standards. Uh, That's no longer the case where, you know, we'll take some of our devices that uh, we can send to another metrology laboratory that might have their devices calibrated by another laboratory that has their devices traceable to NIST, right. which has their devices 
traceable to the SI system. So <laughs> the chain has gotten a lot longer, but but that used to be a frequent uh, request in certain industries. Interesting. The nuclear power industry and stuff. It was it was really interesting, and and that's where some of these international metrological organizations have kind of smoothed things over where they've gotten what they call mutual recognition so that if you say that my my devices are traceable to our national standards and this other countries or this other company in their country have their devices traceable to their national standards, then you would accept a calibration from them. I mean, so there's, it's become a lot more streamlined, mm -hmm. um, a lot more efficient for people um, to have that international or recognition of traceability chains. Nice. Okay. So speak to a little bit about Menser and Menser standards or Menser's process when it comes to traceability. Okay. Well, as I said, we're compliant to ISO 17025, and one of the requirements that it has is that if we have any calibrations done on our reference instruments that we use to calibrate other things, it has to be, it has to have traceability. Mm -hmm. And so every time we get audited, which um, we have a physical audit every two years and a, and a, uh, online audit or whatever in the intervening years. And that's one of the first things that they look at. They want to see our traceability of our all of our reference centers, at least a handful of them, that they pick at random to prove that, hey, we're actually traceable to the SI system. Nice. So it's done every year without fail. <laughs> <laughs> and we pass with flying colors. Of course we do. Of course we, we, do. we Well, that's one of the good things about audits. I mean, some people dread them, but you can really look at them as a opportunity for improvement, you know, to have some third party to come in and say, you're kind of skating on the edge there or something. It, it's <laughs> able to, we're able to improve our processes. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Robert, I really want to thank you for coming out and helping us better understand uh, the importance of traceability. You can check us out at www.menser.com and then also leave us a comment and let us know what you think would make a great topic for our next podcast. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to Measure Matters for the most up-to-date information on all things metrology.